Just a quick note to say that this episode was recorded before the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Hello and welcome to The New Conspiracist, the show that's much more fundamentally independent than the BBC, has a bigger reach than Boris Johnson's fan club and will never try to sell you Nigel Farage's gin. And as always, I am joined by my brainiac sidekick, who's usually being sued at this time of day. Have you been sued today? Oh, yeah. You have actually been being sued today? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, James in fact, Ball. By, by the time the episode's out, we might even have a crowdfunder that you can support. So please check the at TBIJ Twitter account. Hang on a second. We had an entire episode with your boss yep. where you fucking talked about the Bureau of Investigative Journalism every two seconds. I say one thing about you being sued. Have you have you spoken to your boss again today about how many times you can mention? <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, you're not going to have that mentioned. Jesus but you know, Christ. we're being sued by organisations linked to a billionaire oligarch who used to be a dictator for 28 years. Sounds I awesome. I think that merits a mention. I've just been writing a script. Uh, <laughs> it's life's nice. easy in TV. It's, isn't it's it? easy in TV. Yeah, it's, it's fine. So, James, who is joining us this week? I am delighted to say that this week we are joined by the science writer, broadcaster, public speaker, author, and about 12 other things, Kat Arney, who for 12 years was the science communication manager for Cancer Research UK and fielding off conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory with from uh, members of the public and beyond was a mainstay of that job. Kat's written two books. The first one explores how genes work, and the second makes her perfectly suited for today's episode – and here's a little hint of what today's episode will be. Rebel Cell, Cancer, Evolution, and the Science of Life. So, Joel, what is it that we're discussing with Kat this week? Today, we're asking, is Big Pharma hiding the cure for cancer? Kat, welcome to The New Conspiracist. Hello. How are you feeling? Because on the day of recording, this is obviously the first bright blue British day of Liz Truss. Uh, I enjoyed it by going to the gym, throwing very, very large weights around to get <laughs> all out of my system. Uh, yes, can't can't wait to see uh, what will happen. I feel everything's going to change from this moment on. I mean, you know, 12 years has just been a run-in. Just can't wait for them to actually really get going. Yeah, that's so just fresh new government. It's just all been a rehearsal for this, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the most important thing is that these guys who we've now got in, they know exactly what they're doing. You know, there's, there's looking like there's only going to be two major non-movers in the cabinet. And one of them is Ben Wallace, who's the defence secretary. And Ugh. the other is Larry, who's the cat. <laughs> Uh, and chief mouser to the cabinet office. Well, did, did you see? We was I was actually trying. I was actually involved in a campaign to get Larry on the on the ballot. I think we actually had over thirty thousand people engage with it, which is literally almost half the people that voted for Liz Truss. Delightful, isn't I mean, it? That's almost amazing. almost the same amount of people who put her in to the office. And those people, they're not even all living in the home counties, shouting with the Daily Express at the TV and BBC bias. I mean, I wonder which had more Russians voted it, the Larry ballot or the actual Conservative leadership <laughs> that's, election. That's, I, mean, I, I love the idea that Larry, you know, you know how it's always, you know, you just watch people screwing up for ages and then this guy, no, look... <sighs> I've seen how you do it. I'll do this now. And I just really want the point where Larry the Count just walks into cabin and goes, you lot, just like... Pff, just get, get gone. I'm here now. I've yeah. watched you all do this. I've got it. I'm also pleased to say that Larry is the only resident of number 10 whose belly I have stroked. <laughs> James, <laughs> James, I've often wondered what James's attitude is to Larry the Cat. Because if you follow James on Twitter, you'll know that his cats get a lot of airtime. Yes. A lot. I would say 
almost more than any other subject. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they're, they're very important topics of discussion. It's true. The felines are important. Now, is Larry, do you think Do you think he's having a good time? Larry, Larry's a great cat, yeah. So there's some heating vents just behind the windows that you just can't quite see when you go in. And so Larry likes to uh, sit on the vents and just watch everyone come and go. That's I feel like he must so. have <laughs> terrible abandonment issues. He's had four, four people living in the house. Well, it's just, just while he's been there. It's the civil servants and the security staff that he likes. Yeah. So yeah. he sort of hangs around around there. He doesn't really sort of spend ages in the state rooms. He doesn't go in the flat. <laughs> he, he's never, he never goes he up there? He doesn't go up in the flat. He sort of lives in the sort of uh, office bit of the house. Well, they put a dog up there as well. Wasn't wasn't Dylan, yeah, Dylan, Dylan the dog was, up there? Yeah, Dylan was like... there in the number 11 flat. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. Let's get in oh, yeah. to today's <laughs> conspiracy, which is about the idea that Big Pharma are hiding a cure for cancer. So, Kat, just before we really get into this, just give us a brief outline of what cancer actually is and, and what it does to our bodies. So the whole is Big Pharma hiding the cure for cancer. This this idea goes back a very long way and it sort of does come down to a misunderstanding fundamentally of what cancer is and and how it grows and how we treat it and and actually why we're good at treating it sometimes and really bad at treating it other times. So so cancer kind of it starts when cells cells in your body they go out of control. They start multiplying. They start doing things they're not meant to do. They forget the job. You know, you're meant to be being a brain cell or a liver cell. And they start proliferating. And then they start to kind of break away, move away from where they've started and spread through the body. And like we're we're pretty good at treating cancers if you can get them at that early stage when they haven't really started to grow and spread and, and become really rogue. The problem is, is that we don't find all cancers at that stage because it's quite hard to find them at that stage. And once cancer has started to spread through the body, it really starts to evolve. It starts to change. Often in the late stages when you treat it with certain drugs and sometimes radiotherapy, it can become resistant. And so it just keeps growing or it comes back. And so this kind of leads people to to see that, yes, we can treat some cancers and we know that about half of all people diagnosed with cancer will survive. That means that half of all people diagnosed with cancer won't. Mm. And so people are like, well, why can't we? Why can we do it for some people? Why can't we do it for other people? There must be something more going on here that that we don't know about. Why? We've been doing cancer research for over 100 years. Mm. Why are we not doing better? Do you think it's because we think of it as one thing where it isn't really in any sense one thing? Like, we've got one word and yet it's sort of this process, it's almost part of being alive, isn't it? Yeah, Is right? ex- exactly. Cam- cancer's a process. So we use this kind of bucket of terms, but skin cancers are different from brain tumours, are different from liver cancers, are different from lung cancers, and they, they all start from different kinds of cells and they have you know different mistakes in them. And so you need to treat them in different ways. You need to understand them in different ways. And if you just put it all in a bucket and say, like, where's the cure for cancer? It's like, well, there will never be a cure for cancer um, because cancer's many, many different Mm. things. And I think that does, you know, we've been chasing this idea of the cure for, like I say, a century since the founding of the precursors to Cancer Research UK at the turn of the, of the, uh, the 20th century, since even before that, like, this, and everyone talk, you know, you all sort of joke, oh, someone's got the cure for cancer, uh, that kid's going to come up with a cure for cancer. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really biologically difficult problem. It's funny, there's, there's way more conspiracies about cancer than about other co- like causes of death that are almost as common. I wonder if it's because the treatment's so brutal. 
Because yeah. like most most things, you don't sort of you know chemo is rough. Yeah, I think you've like got a point. Like radiotherapy is rough, and yeah. I wonder whether that creates this sense of you know this surely can't be how you know how it's meant to be type thing. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. So you know, radiotherapy, um, like x-rays were discovered at the end of the 19th century and they were being put into service to treat cancer within about five years of being discovered. That's amazing. Yeah, I no, it's mental. That. People like shipping radium around all over the place in the, in the early 20th century. <laughs> um, chemotherapy. I ironically probably contributed yeah. to yeah, that. exactly. And, you know, the reputation of chemotherapy comes out because it was developed from the chemicals in mustard gas. That yeah. were used in the I first didn't world know war. that. Yeah, it, it's from mustard gas. It's these kind of because they're really nasty chemicals. And I think people, we we've come on so far with advances in these drugs, and you know the very latest drugs, things like immunotherapies that work with the immune system, or you know really much smarter drugs. But chemotherapy is not nice. None of these treatments are nice or without side effects. And in some cases, well, quite a lot of cases, they don't work as well as we'd like, or you just improve survival, but they're not. Cures, And I think it's the fact that we can't, there's very few times you can say that we can cure cancer. If you can operate mm. early enough and get it out and it doesn't come back, it's like, yep, that's cured. But in many cases, it does come back because these cells, they sneak about, they hide and then they come back. There was some pretty exciting research, though, at the beginning of the year, wasn't there, where it seemed to be, I mean, I know it was only one study, but a study in the US that seemed to suggest that a lot of the the, the patients on the clinical trial, they'd seen a huge reduction in the rate of cancer. How, how excited are you by claims like that? Or do you think that's kind of dangerous because it's more false hope, more sort of talk of some kind of cure? Yeah, it's really tough with this one because obviously when I was at CRUK, you'd, you'd see a study every week and you have to you have to kind of pass these studies through a, a lot of filters. So first of all, like, is this a clinical trial in actual human beings? Um, if so, how many? Is this like 10, 20, 1,000, 10,000? Like, if you can show real improvements in 10,000 people, I'm buying it. If you've shown something in cells growing in the lab, I mean, you know, bleach kills cells growing in a lab. Um, bleach is not a treatment for cancer. Hang on a sec. Well, hang, on, hang on a minute. I'm pretty oh. sure Donald Trump was very, very clear that bleach could be extremely good. As long as you drink it. Domestos is my favourite, personally. What's your favourite uh, bleach to drink, it's, um, James? It's so Bleach is one of these really the interesting ones. Well, the Domestos so, one. Oh, my like, God. Anyone, anyone who's ever, ever worked in science journalism or science communication has the first time that they have to do a bleach story. Would yeah. you, you because guys every, this is such every few months right someone comes up with bleach as a solution to something new like <laughs> yeah. there is no disease that you can think of that bleach hasn't been suggested as the cure for yeah. and it like it's sold for a fortune Alex Jones promoted it it's an autism thing like people give like poor children with autism bleach enemas like I mean My this is God. not the bleach podcast this is the cancer podcast but oh boy yeah. get someone well, to when do I, this when I, was a, when I was at BuzzFeed <laughs> I could remember Tom Chivers uh, who'd sort, oh, of, yeah. sort of moved off comment in to news for BuzzFeed and obviously now into science news. Uh, he's at the eye. But he had, because he was sort of new on news, he was going, you won't believe this weird story I've heard. They're using, I don't know, it's got to be bleach, isn't it? Yeah. How did you know that? <laughs> so is this like a common occurrence? Oh, so when Donald Trump God. decided to trumpet bleach yeah, as a possible it's, thing, it's this is not... It's the bleach thing. It's a weird thing. See, I yeah. didn't even know about this yeah, bleach it turns thing. turns out hey, all the time. You live and you learn. Dear listener, there you go. Bleach is not the fucking answer. Surprise, <laughs> but, surprise. But I, again, I sort of wonder, do we get these weird suggestion you know as you say bleach will kill cells it gets recommended by everyone but i can remember a, a colleague who i mean he did eventually die of cancer but he got 
a good extra year of life than he expected from the most medieval-sounding treatment you could possibly have, which is he was cut open and basically had hot chemotherapy poured inside his bowel. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, that sounds like a medieval torture oh technique. And, but it got him months more of yeah. quality life. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't sound any stranger than the quack ones, does it? Exactly. And this is the other point as well, is you do all these treatments, you have all these horrendous side effects, and then you measure out survival in, in months. And you're like, well, none of these things are cures. And this comes back to the, like, the whole premise. It's like that somewhere there's this actual cure that would make people completely better. Mm. And the pharma industry, and, and also by default, you know, the, the cancer charities as an adjunct to that, are hiding it because they just want to carry on making these drugs and selling these drugs. So they don't want people to actually be cured. That really gets to the heart of the conspiracy that somehow there must be something better, but they don't want you to have it because for some reason doing all this stuff is fun and makes money. Can I float a quick side conspiracy on this one? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love a side conspiracy. What is it with, what is it with cancer and mice? They seem to do so many cancer studies in mice so that then just don't show... Are it, mice okay. just weirdly sub subject to cancer or something like that? So what? I'm going to have to be really honest here, and I know there's going to be a lot of people complaining because this is the big secret. Right. Hate the little fuckers. We hate them. <laughs> we fucking hate mice. Little beady eyes. That's <laughs> why, isn't it? Little, little keep right mice. Thanks. Thanks for that. So, so, so Cancer Research UK actually just exists to wipe yeah, out just, mice. Just all I'm up. really, I'm really excited <laughs> to start getting those angry tweets. Uh, whoever, whoever, ever pissed off animal rights activists and had a bad time. Not true. Whoever Not true. Please don't. Please don't send me hate mail. If you would like to uh, contact the new conspiracist <laughs> about our anti-mouse agenda, you can email us at hello. At newconspiracist.com. Or just tweet James. Like, I, don't, I don't want to know about no. it. So but, look, but let's, then, actually, we... there is a legitimate argument that mice are a really crap are model for cancer. Yeah, no, come on really No, because I'm curious Yeah, no, they're this. really... So the, the reason that they're used... <laughs> so mice are crap. Mice are crap. They, my, my, the reason mice are used is because you can breed lots of them. They breed really fast. They're a mammal. They're like the smallest mammal you can get for your money. And so you can do lots of stuff with them. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that sounded odd. Mean, that sounds... Yeah. Very strange. I mean, don't I mean blame in TV me. world, it's usually, I've heard stories about, you know, gerbils being so <laughs> Not so much the mice. But you can do a lot of stuff with them. You get a lot of mammal for your money. And the problem <laughs> is, is that they they run on a really different kind of life cycle. They breed really fast. They're, they repair their tissues in different ways to right. humans. And so they've done all these experiments on mice. And then you try and translate those and treatments into humans across, and it, it does not work. And this, again, fuels the conspiracy. It's like you had all these results in the lab. You did all these studies in mice. Where are have, these have drugs? Have we ended up to the point where we could like run a cancer centre of excellence for mice? <laughs> we can cure cancer in, in mice. mice. Like, you would not believe. Like, if you're a mouse and you've got cancer... Yeah, we 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 got you. Before we get into uh, you know some of the some of the core elements of the conspiracy, I think it's really important that people have some of the facts around cancer, and then we'll look at some of the actual financial implications that come with it. So, as most people are aware, cancer is you know the leading cause of death worldwide, and in 2020, cancer claimed nearly 10 million lives, or actually you know one in six, you know, and that's not even the mice; that's actual real people. And according to stats, you know, from the World Health Organization, there are around, you know, 375,000 cases of cancer every year. And that's, 1, in, that's in the UK, isn't it? That's just, yeah, that's, yeah, that's just here. in the UK. Right, yeah. And, you know, about a thousand new diagnoses every day. Now, I do think, and again, part of the reason this is such a big deal is the amount of money that's involved with cancer research. So, 
We know it's big business, but in 2021-22, cancer research in the UK raised a total of 668 million, which includes 426 million from donated income, 117 million from trading activities like charity shops. My God, those charity shops are doing well. Yeah, My who, God, who that, that is a lot of secondhand cardigans. <laughs> Big business in My, charity shops. Who knew this? Raking we it should in. Be, we should start a campaign. Um, <laughs> the new conspiracy <laughs> charity shops. Yeah, ban the charity <laughs> shops. <laughs> um, a £17 million from the charity investment portfolio and an £108 million from royalties and grants, including shares of sales from innovation development and research. So do you think that one of the main reasons there is just so many conspiracies around that is the amount of money Absolutely. that's being poured in? Yeah, and I think it's interesting because you've picked out the stats on Cancer Research UK. Yeah. But when you look at like the global pharma industry, I mean, that, it just dwarfs it into a cocked hat. I mean, there's, there's stuff that the Cancer Research UK scientists, they see people in big pharma as like they dream of having those kinds <laughs> of uh, access to those kinds of like kit and, and all those kinds of things. But yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of money because there's an awful lot of people with cancer around the world. Mm. And, you know, and it does actually take a lot of money. I think in every industry, there is waste. Um, one of the interesting things, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry and, and by extension in cancer research generally, is like you don't know what's going to work. Because if we yeah. knew what was going to work, it wouldn't be research. Right? <laughs> yeah. Then we would have done it. That's the thing. And I and I think this kind of ties into the conspiracy I mean, idea. You, you, like, would, you would do a lot better if yeah, instead you, of researching 20 things, 19 of which yeah. didn't work, you simply like researched the one that the worked. One. Yeah. yeah, you just did the one that worked. <laughs> um, and it, it costs a huge amount of money. It's like you're know, saying you can chuck anything on a Petri dish of, of cells and it will kill it. Yeah. Bleach or a drug or something. And okay, it kills cells in a dish. But it takes a huge amount of money and time to go from that, okay, this is a thing that looks like it kills cancer cells to actually we've tested this in yeah, thousands of people we know, it's safe, we know how it works we know how long it will extend your survival for we know what the side effect profile is and that's millions and millions of pounds and actually you know you say oh pharma they charge loads for the drugs and it's all you know it's huge amounts of money it's like you need to put huge amounts of money in they do get huge amounts of money out. I mean, I, I If we stopped have... inventing so many treatments yeah. for mice, would we? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Is it the mice's fault? Is that Jeez, what we're finding? A little furry mice. It's them, isn't it? <laughs> um, them. So the, the sort of conspiracy theory here, I think quite a lot of people believe it, at least in part. Mm. I think this is quite a common one. And it's the idea that there is either a universal, fully effective cure for cancer or a good, cheap treatment for it that would work in a lot of instances. I think the reason it's quite so widespread is firstly, everyone hates Big Pharma and Big Pharma make themselves utterly easy to hate. Like, oh my God, especially post-COVID. contemptible my industry. God. We'll do more on that later. Yeah, they've not done well. Um, but cancer drugs are ludicrously, insanely expensive and industry is very good at using patients to make health systems pay a fortune for cancer treatments that aren't very good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, there's quite a lot of dodgy clinics and doctors yeah. that sort of have things that aren't cancer treatments that they charge a fortune So for. much snake oil. So almost any crowdfunder that you see online for fly someone for this treatment that you can't get on the NHS, it's a family that's been roped in by a charlatan 
and that money will not save the child. No. It's like, so you know, depressing, they, isn't they it? They raise. Any time you see one of those crowdfund type things, if it's not in someone's memory, if it's for an experimental treatment, that's a, ver- a family that are not, they're not scamming you, they're being scammed. There's a lot of buckets that kind of experimental treatments cover. And, and I think as well, coming back to an early point, in the UK, we have the NHS, we have national healthcare. So everyone kind of gets like a level. And in the US, you have this like triangle of the doctors and the insurance companies and the pharma companies. And they're all sort of, you know, ramping the prices up. And so, yeah, you can see that things are looking very, very, very expensive. And if you're contaminated with a lot of your media from the US in the UK, you you really get that narrative. And Mm. certainly in the US, I think the the way that the, the companies have worked with the insurance companies and everyone to kind of just this enormous price squeeze on everything is not cool and would certainly make you look for cheaper things elsewhere mm. and certainly make you think that there must be something cheaper, but everyone's kind of poo-pooing it because they don't want us to have it because they just want us to spend all this money on expensive drugs. And the interesting thing is people do actually genuinely believe that organisations like your old employer, Cancer Research UK, are in on the scam. Mm. And it's actually, <laughs> it comes to one of those lines on its income that Jolien was reading, you know, 108 million a year that includes things like royalties on their research. So they make money from the existing thing. Now, they're a charity. That's that's not someone rolling in a Scrooge McDuck pond. No. But people can point to it and go, well, you're getting rich as part of this cancer sort of financial ecosystem, so you're in on it, can't they? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. There was um, my old boss, Leslie, at CRUK. Her office was just like a bomb site and we always used to joke that the cure for cancer was actually in there <laughs> somewhere just we couldn't find we'd only find it when she retired but you know we I used to get hate mail a lot we were always being accused of like being you know shills and I'd go back to my really grotty house share in East London like oh, where, where is my big pharma money please yeah give me that money now Let's get right into the actual conspiracies, right? Because obviously, Big Pharma are absolute fuckers. I mean, I don't think there's any any doubt in most people's minds that the profit motive, particularly in the United States, has led to such wonderful epidemics and crises as the opioid crisis, uh, which, you know, if anyone has watched Dope Stick recently, was very well put out. Or the, 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 the Dope Stick fantastic show, James, you would really like it. No, it's Dope Sick, isn't it? Dope Sick, yes. Dyslexic boy, can't <laughs> yeah. say. Dope Sorry. Stick's the one about trees on drugs. That is literally... <laughs> hey. Do you know what's so funny? as well is that I've actually always thought it was called Dope Stick and now he's saying it and I'm like no that's actually how it's spelled is there CK at the end to any dyslexics out there uh, listen I feel your pain we're getting sidetracked okay the point is <laughs> is, is, the, is Big Pharma covering up a cure for dyslexia yes <laughs> absolutely um, um, so yes <laughs> but, <laughs> but right mice with dyslexia <laughs> <laughs> I, I just did not have down on my oh flashcards my for this week that we'd just be ragging on dyslexic mice dyslexic but... mice would be I mean I'm into, I know it could be a great sketch I mean um, there's, there's definitely a heartwarming uh, Pixar cartoon in there uh, this so is the dyslexic mice learning to spell <laughs> but the, um, the, the the problem here is that as with what we found in most of the sort of looking into every conspiracy is it's either the Jews or the Muslims. But in this case, there's a bit of a difference here, isn't there? It's capitalism! It's capitalism. Just capitalism. <laughs> because, because the thing is that particularly in the United States, the profit motive is so rampant. And I think a lot of British people don't really understand this a lot of the time that in the United States, you choose your doctor. 
And it's a big thing. And you don't do that usually based on their credentials. It's, it's often that, you know, an auntie thinks they're a great doctor or someone thinks they're, you know, they're, they're really wonderful. But often they're absolute charlatans because they're all on retainer from, you know, large drug companies and sort of pushing out drugs that aren't necessarily... Well, it's sort of, it's that they're salespeople. Exactly. And hospitals are for-profit businesses. And so there is a tendency, especially because patients aren't paying out of pocket themselves, to try and over-medicalise a lot of things. Yeah. You know, you will want to prescribe more and doctors sometimes get fees for that. Um, or the hospital will have sales targets for doctors almost. It's not quite I mean, that like is, that. Exactly, that's fucking but Ameri Americans it? don't trust doctors. Oh, no, not at all. At all. And that goes back a really yeah. long way. There's an amazing paper I saw about that goes like back to the founding of the nation where like there's just no medical care. Yeah. But there's an interesting, there is an interesting one here with um, prostate cancer in the US. So prostate cancer, you can give people a test called PSA test, the blood test, measure something that's produced by prostate cancer cells. And if it's high, it's like, ooh, you might have an early stage prostate cancer. And the problem is, and the reason why it's a bad screening test, is that we don't know if that is aggressive, if that is actually going to be really bad and, and become a nasty thing, or if it's actually just going to sit there. And like most men actually die with prostate cancer because they've got some kind of growth. Because quite a lot of people yeah. get it, but it's yeah, it's, it's not often malignant. Is yeah, that it's right? indolent. It's, yeah. it's there. So you need to kind of tell the difference between we a call nice them like the tigers and, and the <laughs> I've heard you know. of indolent cancer. Is it, it's yeah. lazy just kind of chill. Indolent cancer. I'm sort of picturing a, a kind of not really, not really <laughs> replicating at a high speed. Just hanging out. But once you've kind of found this, well, you know it's there. So mm. you should do something, right? And so you see, like the rate of the the rate of incidence of prostate cancer has shot up in the US because everyone and, and in the UK as well because everyone's been diagnosed with this test. And there's also there's really targeted radiotherapy called proton beam therapy. That's like, well, it's okay. It's really, really targeted. So it's not going to cause all these problems like, you know, incontinence and impotence that a, a prostate cancer treatment can cause. So let's give you that as well. And it's very expensive. And there's all these proton beam therapy centers that basically just treat men with prostate cancer. Wow. There's something about firing a proton beam at men's prostates where I feel like there's got to be a gay sex joke here somewhere <laughs> and I can't find it. Maybe, maybe it's like it's the James Bond film that never got made. <laughs> See, I hear protons. I'm, I'm in a Superman vibe. I'm thinking, you know, some sort of kryptonite yeah. thing. But that's definitely like you can see the rise in prostate cancer, the rise in prostate cancer treatment, but there's not actually necessarily a massive rise in prostate cancer survival. Yeah. Because you're like, well, did all these cancers actually need treating? And I think that is, again, it's like, quite... that's a Wait, big question. Should... Do we treat cancers that didn't need treating? Well, there's a chance to do it. Um, there's some good numbers that we've got here. Ooh, so okay. on Big Pharma is hiding a cure for cancer, um, polling in America suggests a quarter of Americans believe that. That is so wild. And a further sort of one in seven, so that's about 15%, think that they might be hiding it. So that's 40%. Four in 10 Americans either believe they are hiding one yeah. or could be. Do we think, can I just say, before we move on from that, do we think that's because a lot of people's thought process is these companies will only be interested in selling a drug that ultimately they can just sell again and again and again, like a return. Well, to, to sort of to sort of extend it, you know, there's this thing where this poll's in Italy found nearly half of uh, adults in Italy thought that big pharma hides cures for diseases to make more money. But I think sort of Jolyon was hinting at an interesting sort of thing that I'd like to ask you is that one of the things you do sort of hear 
and I think Caroline Criado Perez has written on this a few times, previous guest, um, is this sense that while they're not necessarily, you know, we know this works for this and we're hiding it, wah ha ha, there's quite a lot of drugs that are sort of out of patent or mm. sort of older that there's some signs there might be off-label uses where they could be quite effective and no one ever funds that research. So yeah. it's not, there's sort of maybe some stuff in cheaper things where big farmers not looking. Yeah. Might that be a true little core to this? I think that that is definitely true. And there's there's a lot, I could talk endlessly about all of this. There's a really interesting project called the Repurposing Drugs in Oncology Project, where they are looking at all these old drugs, you know, sort of antiparasitic drugs, all sorts of things that do look like they have efficacy. But like you say, it is these are off patent. There's no real money in the pharma industry. So they have got to get money from charitable sources and things like that. I think governments should probably invest more in repurposing research. If anyone's, if Liz is listening, Absolutely. first day in the job. Oh, she's uh, bang into it. Yeah, money for repurposing drugs research. But yeah, there's lots of issues. And, and I think also pharma, you can definitely say that pharma likes to only look in a few places. And you have this kind of the, it's, it's a terrible way of phrasing it, but this sort of the me too problem in pharma. So not that me too, yeah. <laughs> but the, the other me too, where one company or, or research organisation will find, okay, this is a target in cancer cells. And if we use a drug against it, it seems to kill the cancer cells. Brilliant. And so they'll make a drug, they'll get it to market. And then everyone else is like, oh, well, we know that target works. Why do we, why? It's like going, like, why do yeah. research if you know that that one works? So everyone else goes, all right, let's make our drug to go for that target. And if we can show through our clinical trial that it's just a tiny bit better mm. than the other guy's drug, then we'll be able to sell the drug. They'll recommend our drug. Um, and and they won't buy the other person's drug because ours is just a tiny bit better. But it only has to be a tiny bit. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Because, I mean, I found that you know, as as everyone did. During COVID, the extraordinary work done on the Oxford vaccine, all publicly funded, all actually like trying to create a, you know, vaccination that could be cost effectively rolled out. And then to see how attacked that was. And a lot of, you know, stories, particularly in the, in the last couple of weeks, have come out about how powerful the PR push was to discredit it in order really to bolster, you know, for-profit sales of, of drugs that were extremely similar, right? I mean, this is a story that's really been I mean, the, escalating the, the last two or three The Oxford weeks. scientists involved have said they think their big mistake was not selling at a higher price in developed countries. They, they sort of say because they were selling for a tenth of the price of rivals in developed countries... That's why they think they got so attacked. Isn't that an extraordinary um, thing when you really think about that? Um, irrespective they, of our political system. If they system. just sold it cheaper, you know, not for profit in developing, but made the profit in developed, they wonder whether it would have been quite so got, which, I mean, it is interesting. And yeah. also, you know, we haven't even spoken about, I mean, we'll go on to some of the absolute fuckery that Big Pharma has been involved in when they've been caught out, but we're still at a point where there are countries that literally cannot afford to have the vaccine rolled out. Yeah. I know. Because I mean, of shall, the thing. shall I rattle through the mega list? Yeah, let's do it. Let's because this is a classic right, James the, mega list. And also, yeah. James, I think what we should do behind this is I want a sort of top of the pops bit of music <laughs> just sort of going, and number one, because I mean, so, this is some dun, serious dun, fuck. Dun, I, I, I quite like some 1980s sort of uh, news, news bulletin music. I'm very I excited think. about what so, I see in the edit. 
In a 24-year period from 1991 to 2005, big pharma companies paid 373 settlements for marketing fraud, which totaled $35.7 billion. Billion! In 2013, Johnson & Johnson, the world's largest healthcare company, yep, they don't just make the baby oil, paid $2.2 billion for improperly marketing a drug, Risperdal. In 2014, Takeda Pharmaceuticals paid $2.7 billion in settlements for failing to warn users of the drug Actos, it could raise the risk of bladder cancer. In 2015, Martin Shkreli... Ugh. How have we not oh, done an episode no. of Martin Shkreli? I, do you know what? I saw his name and I'd totally forgotten about this uh, absolute little <laughs> fucking piece oh, of he's shit. Got, he's got a bad aura. He bought the one Wu-Tang album, he started making videos about Ghostface Killer, and this is not even part of the podcast. <laughs> Back in the room. In 2015, Martin Shkreli's Turing Pharmaceuticals bought the exclusive rights to the drug Daraprim, which is used to treat rare parasitic disease that affects pregnant women, people with cancer, and AIDS patients. Overnight, the price of the drug went from $13.50 to $750, a rise of 5,000%. Shkreli has been jailed, barred from the pharmaceutical industry for life, and ordered to pay back $64.6 million, and even Donald Trump called Shkreli a spoiled brat. Even Donald Trump oh God, went trouble. after him. Even Donald Trump and Ghostface Killer on the same battle together. It's very strange. In 2022, three of the US's largest drug distributors, along with one of the largest drug manufacturers, and we all know which one, reached a $26 billion settlement to resolve thousands of civil lawsuits filed by state and local governments on behalf of their residents. The lawsuits alleged that and bear in mind, they paid out $26 billion over it, yeah. that these drug companies urged doctors to prescribe opioids for minor injuries such as ankle sprains. And at least 85% of the settlement funds will need to be used for healthcare and drug treatment programs designed to ease the opioid crisis. Wild. This has been <laughs> News at 10. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think we should be doing as a society, whether it's, you know, a public health messaging or from this sort of NGO community, to make people more comfortable with the idea that we are in good hands when it comes to cancer care? I think it's very difficult because we don't have a cure for cancer. Like, there, there isn't one. That's an exclusive, by the way, for <laughs> the podcast. Spoilers. Um, but yeah, like, the, the best things that you can do is really raise awareness of early diagnosis, early detection. Um, if you're going to invest, we need to invest so much more money in early cancer diagnosis because the earlier you can detect cancer, the earlier you can treat it and the more, the more likely you are to have a successful outcome. We mm. definitely know that. Like the outcomes, if you detect, say, bowel cancer at stage one, you've got 90% chance of survival. If it's at stage four, it's like less than 10%. So it's like wow. it makes such a massive difference. And, you know, if you're asking what individuals can do, it's always if, if something isn't right, if something's not normal for you, as they say, go to the doctor. Um, but I think more broadly, I think we should be asking more from the pharmaceutical industry when it comes to treating cancer and researching cancer. And that is starting to change. I do. I work a lot with like biotechs. I do work with some uh, pharmaceutical companies. Full disclosure, Ooh, boo, boo. I have written about some science for AstraZeneca. I've written about some of the science that they do. Um, but yeah, I think that there are there are companies that behave better than others. Um, I think there are some that are, they really are trying to find better targets. And also, I will say, everyone's like, oh, they're hiding a cure for cancer. 
in the past few years, there's been these drugs called immunotherapy drugs. And they are literally, in some cases, curative. Because what they can do. Can you explain what yeah, they do that's so, different? Yeah, to exactly. The so, old ones. the kind of conventional cancer treatments aim to like kill cancer cells. So, whether that's with chemotherapy, it's a drug that like disrupts the cancer cells and, and kills them, or radiotherapy is just like it's a beam that kills the cancer yeah. cells. Death ray. Death, it's a death ray. And it's quite brutal on the rest of the body. Exactly. And there's reasons. side effects and all these kind of things. So, immunotherapies, um, cancer cells are very clever because they kind of cloak themselves. They go into like stealth mode and hide from the immune system. And these immunotherapies basically pull that away and go like, it's here, guys. Wow. And so all the immune cells... <laughs> so they're cells, like snitches. Yeah, they kind of like, um, it sort of goes, oh, it's, I'm actually a cancer cell. And the immune cells can see it and destroy it. And because your immune system is your own body, like the cancers are in there, they've kind of grown up with your immune system... I think that using the immune system to find and destroy cancer cells is, is going to be incredibly powerful. Mm. And the, we're in, just in the first wave of these drugs and they are, like, some people are actually being cured. And so if that if that was a cure and pharma was hiding it, they've done a really shit job because... <laughs> <Yeah>. So, so <laughs> this, is, this is where I have a big problem with this conspiracy theory. And this is going to be a little rant, sorry, but it sort of has oh, a question at the, at the end of it. at the end of a rant. But what this weird conspiracy assumes is that big pharma, some somehow know about a cure for cancer that's clearly not easy to discover because it hasn't been discovered outside of this cabal, which means it's patentable and it's secret. Mm. So why do they think that whichever company had it couldn't sell it for a massive amount more than, you know, health systems are willing to pay millions of dollars for treatments that only <laughs> add a year of life or so. Yeah. If you've got one, that cures and so could add 20 years, 60 years to people's lives yeah. at less sort of physical pain and trauma, healthcare systems would pay a fortune for it. You'd have 30 years yeah. of patent. You'd, why like, you'd why do people out. assume it would be cheap? <laughs> it's, like, just because, like, losing what? losing his fucking mind no, I, about I this. absolutely agree. It just really annoys me. It's I, the I, dumbest you know I think you're totally right. <laughs> yeah, so, so, like, healthcare systems will, in, particularly in the US, will pay, like, $100,000 for a cancer treatment that is a bespoke, we'll take your immune cells and reprogram them to find your own cancer cells, mm. and there's no guarantee that it will work. And yeah, absolutely. Like if there was the actual cure anywhere, you could just complete, you could sell it for $100,000 because mm. if it works, that's what the market will now hold. But I think there's there's sort of a more personal thing and this really comes down to it is the, you know, I've had a lot of people sort of accusing yeah, Cancer Research UK or, or, you know, you're hiding the cure for cancer, big farmers hiding the cure for cancer. Do they not think that the people who work for these organisations don't, get cancer or have people they love that get cancer. I've had mm. to sit in a room when my one of my closest colleagues at CRUK had to tell us that she had cancer and sit next to her while she lost her hair, while she went through the whole shebang. You know, I've had both my parents going through it. Mm. We've lost people, all of us have lost people close to us. People in pharma companies have lost people close to them. It's like, we are all humans. What kind of like absolute shit person would you be well, if you were like I'm sorry mum like I do love you um, or you know your daughter is like oh I'm, I'm really sorry but you know but, I'm but not very enough high to stop up covering at, up. at Merck and well, I've just got to keep got to keep but strong. it's interesting because like do you think for organisations like Cancer Research UK it's got worse in the last sort of four or five years 
like in terms of the conspiracy well, of, theories yeah, and stuff like that? I th- well, I, th- I really started noticing it with social media, mm. actually. So I, I started at Cancer Research UK in 2004 and I left in 2016. So I went through the time when social media became a thing. So when I first started, one of my jobs was to write answers to the people who would write in to customer support or, or supporter, supporter support, um, you know, with all sorts of things. So people would send in amazing stuff, like someone sent in this beautifully bound report of their <laughs> cure for cancer. We used to get all this stuff. <laughs> Sorry, what? Oh, it was amazing. It had like a little wheel that was made of badgers. And, <laughs> and there was just this immortal phrase what? like, like nine badgers would be more representative of reality, but eight are shown for simplicity. I'm like, it, it, we, like, we get interesting posts at, yeah. uh, at the Bureau as this well. This is it amazing. Is that the Bureau of Investigative it Journalism? It is the Bureau of Investigative please, Journalism. Please don't, yes. Don't encourage him, please. <laughs> but we, so my job was what, like, what is it that you're not wanting me? us to say, John? Honestly, shut up. Is it the Bureau of Investigative Journalism? I've honestly had enough of this. I'm sure you and you know, your boss had a really good laugh about it. I've had so many tweets about this. <laughs> so, unbelievable like literally people being like uh, did you mention that did you mention who we work for Lol. I was like no that- so by the way thank you to every listener who sent one of those tweets if that's your fucking please continue sending them if to your, at Jolian Rubs if that's your fucking takeaway after that podcast we are not doing our job properly unbelievable well listen we've got to that part of the podcast where we have to start deciding whether this conspiracy theory that Big Pharma is hiding a cure for cancer is legit or a fugazi (laughs) if it's nonsense, if it's rubbish. So what are we saying here, Kat? I think Big Pharma are not hiding the cure for cancer. I think cancer is really, really, really hard to treat. um, And I think we need to do a lot better. I think pharma could definitely do a lot better. Uh, I think, you know, I'd give them I'd give them a D grade rather than A grade. And um, and I think that uh, we could do a lot more on early diagnosis of cancer and not just treatment. So not a conspiracy theory, but they're, they're, they're just, not doing as well as they like, should be doing. Oh, come on, guys. Like, get with the programme. James. I, I think I have a three-part answer on this one. One, they're not hiding a cure for cancer. Two, big pharma suck. They're dicks. And three, did you actually check Leslie's office when she retired? <laughs> <laughs> we did, because we had to move. And it, honestly, it was so much you would not believe was in there. But no cures for cancer. There were sadly no cures for cancer. There were some odd shoes. Um, there were some very, very strange like bits and bobs. There was an old marketing pack that Cancer Research UK once sent out that had an actual real walnut in mm. because it was about <laughs> prostate cancer. And this oh. is like mad marketing excesses. Oh, God. Like, because the prostate is the size of a walnut. Wow. And it was like, can you feel that? What? That's incredible. Okay. Uh, any dead mice? Having done, no dead having mice. done quite a lot of marketing with NGOs, I can fully believe that yeah. happened. Um, I also think this is total nonsense. I don't think Pig Pharma are hiring a cure for cancer, but I'm 100% sure, and I know, in fact, for sure, that two people I know who've worked in and within the pharmaceutical industry probably are going to listen to this. You guys would do yourself a huge PR favour if you would just drop the fucking painting on the COVID-19 vaccines <laughs> and actually roll them out across the world. Trick I mean, swiper. do yourself a favour. <laughs> anyway, we will be back uh, next week and you can join James and I for a special Tier 4 Platinum episode where we'll be discussing the BBC bias that has been leading to select committees complaining about terrifying people called comedians. 
the terrifying the scourge of the comedian and what they may be doing inside that monstrous BBC. Regular listeners may wish to know that this is part of our ongoing campaign to have Emily Maitlis finally do the bloody pod. <laughs> Emily, if you're listening, come on. Uh, you can, very nice. You can always get in touch uh, with the New Conspiracist at hello at newconspiracist.com. Uh, and if you do uh, uh, manage to actually sign up for the Tier 4 Platinum uh, Circle, you'll get all these episodes ad-free. Happy blooming days. There may be some people uh, who don't know where to find your work or be, or, or, or online. So wh- where where can they find you online? Uh, you can mostly find me on Twitter. I'm one of those saddos that likes to hang out there. I'm at cat underscore Arnie. Um, and also if you are interested in like the origins of cancer and why it's a complicated biological problem and why the pharma industry is being a bit sucky at finding better ways of treating it, I write about all of this in my book Rebel Cell, Cancer, Evolution and Science of Life, available from all good and all evil bookshops. <laughs> Evil Amazon store or good little independent bookstore somewhere. Take your choose. You choose. choose. Well, dear listener, we will be back next week. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. But look, I've got a big favour to ask you. We need you to share the podcast with your mates, with your racist nan, with your best mate you like to argue with down the pub, or just your wife, or just your husband, or just your partner, or your painter. Or your decorator. I'm, I'm told we've got quite a lot of dad listeners now. Well, like quite a lot, a lot of people share this podcast with their dad, apparently. Ah, I like so, that. That's good. You know, bonding time with your dad. It's good. Intergenerational <laughs> help to get rid of that conspiracy theory nonsense. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Our producer was Michael Dale. Our engineers, Jay Beal, Josh Gibbs, Gully Lawrence Tickle and Teddy Riley. Production coordinator was Lily Hambly. Our marketing coordinator, Emily Webb and our executive producer, Alex Lawless, with additional production from Chris Skinner. From all of us, goodbye. Goodbye.